Welcome to Photo Taco, the only show with photography tips you can learn in the time it takes to eat a taco. Or perhaps a burrito. Photo Taco! Hey everybody, welcome into another episode of Photo Taco on the Master Photography Podcast Network. I'm your host, Jeff Harmon. Thanks so much for spending a few minutes of your day with me. I'm so excited to uh, talk about this topic today. I'm going to share my thoughts on what Apple's switch from Intel over to Apple Silicon processors means for photographers. We're going to get nerdy. We're going <laughs> to get geeky. Uh, I'm going to try really hard to make it something that most photographers will still want to listen to, even though we have to get down to a little bit of the geekiness so that you can really understand this. No doubt you have heard that Apple made big news on their annual developers conference, WW. WDC, where they announced that they are moving from long-term partner Intel over to custom-built processors they are calling Apple Silicon. It's a big name. <laughs> I hope they kind of change that because it's a little hard to say compared to like Intel, but we'll see what happens there. But what does all of this mean to photographers? What does this move to Apple Silicon mean to photographers? All right, well, I have a lot of thoughts on this. I've really been thinking, I've been digging into on thoughts from a lot of other people just to see, like taking the temperature of of everyone who's reacting to this because we're all speculating. None of us know for sure what this means. We're all speculating on what it means. And um, there's some really good things I'm going to tell you about. And then at the end, I'm going to tell you some of the things I think could be challenges, could be difficulties. Uh, things that I expect to to kind of come up as we go through this. So let's let's go through this. To start off with, I really, really think we could end up with much faster Macs out of this, which is good news for photographers, right? A lot of photographers that use Mac, they like the way the operating system works. They like the way the system just kind of uh, has fewer challenges. And we've had P- Mac versus PC con things on the podcast like crazy over time. It's really ultimately today here in 2020 before there's an Apple Silicon release. It seems like it's really just personal preference at this point. Like things work very well com- between the two. Um, there's always going to be this, oh, you have the Apple tax thing up front. But I think in the long run, a lot of Windows computers are not built to last. And so in, it, as things work out, you can end up having a, a better total cost of ownership with the Mac. Any, All of that aside, that's not what this episode is about. We want to see what does this mean to photographers? And let's assume it's photographers who use Macs. I'm not trying to convince any people who use Windows today that they need to switch. I don't know for sure what I'm going to do myself as mostly a Windows desktop computer user for my photo editing, but I do want to talk about then for those that do use Macs, what do you have to look to, to look forward to? And, you know, those that use Windows, what might you consider in the future? I'm not saying you have to change. You Today, my recommendation still is personal preference, whichever one you prefer, go do it invest in it. That's going to be a critical thing. No matter which you choose, you do need to spend some money on it. And uh, and then go and do your photography. That's the most important thing. This is a tool. We shouldn't get into like near religious <laughs> debates about this when this is a tool that you need to accomplish your goals and be able to produce really high quality images that you want to create. So it's a tool that enables you. You pick the tool that works best for you. Personal decision at this point. All right. So why do I think Macs are going to get faster with Apple Silicon? 
I mean, it's not a stretch. I, I, most everyone is predicting that they're going to get faster. But let's talk about a few specific things about why it is that they're going to get faster. And the first one is, I'm really expecting better heat management. So a lot of you listening have probably got iPhones, iPads, or you've used one, iPad Pro, these devices from Apple that are pretty amazing, pretty compelling things. And yes, you may have, uh, there may be listeners who use an Android phone and really like your Android phone, and that's not to take anything away from your Android phone. Again, whatever's your personal preference. I, I, if that's something you prefer and you like using it, then awesome. More power to you. Whatever tool it takes to get the job done, that is great. But you can't deny, even if you're an Android user, that these devices do a really good job, especially in regard to heat management. It's it's pretty amazing that these thin and small devices, the iPhone, the iPad Pro, the iPad, they do a pretty in- incredible job. And have you ever noticed there's no fan on any of these things? They're beautiful pieces of consumer electronics, and they have no fan, and they really, for the most part, don't get hot. Now, yes, they can get too hot. Any electronics can get too hot. If you leave it in the dashboard of your car, it can get too hot and going to have a problem. Um, And they can get a little warm if they're used to do high-end things for a long period of time. If you're doing video editing on an iPad Pro, which is a valid use case that some people have, especially with mouse support that's built into it now, they can get a little bit warmer, for sure. That's how it works. As you do something that takes a lot more processing power to get done, it's going to heat up a bit more. But still, it's a pretty amazing thing that Apple's accomplished in those devices to make it so that it handles heat really, really well. Very respectable. I would say, I I am personally expressing, I think it leads the class in those kinds of things. Now, there may be examples you could point me to more specifically where it's someone else has done a little better job, but they're probably thicker or have made compromises in other areas to make it so that they make, we could do better with cooling. The same cannot be said for Mac computers as of today, here in 2020. Uh, they've been highly criticized for not handling heat very well. Detractors often talk about how Apple seems to choose form over function. That's that's the terminology that's used a lot, where they are so obsessed with beautiful devices, thin and small devices, that they make compromises for that when they could do a better job of dealing with the heat and making it so their Mac computers ran faster for longer periods of time without getting hot and having to slow down the computer because it's just overheating. Now, is so the challenge though is is whose fault is it for this problem? I fully agree it's a challenge with Mac computers. They tend to get too hot. And maybe the form versus function decisions that Apple makes is a massive contributor to that. For sure. But what about Intel? Do they play any role here? Do they should they take any blame on this? Or is it totally just the design of Apple with what they're doing with thin and small computing devices? Well, we're about to see, right? We're about to find out if Intel CPUs are really the core cause of the Mac computers having such heat problems. Or if uh, Apple Silicon, when they get there, it, uh, it actually works a lot better. Now, we do have a little bit of evidence that you can do something within the architecture. Dell 
has released some pretty compelling Windows laptops, the XPS 15 9500, for example. I'll have a link in the show notes if you're a Windows user who's interested in this. They have something in, in those computers, those laptops, that they call vapor chamber cooling. It's a fairly new technology. They're running Intel 10th gen CPUs, kind of the you know a newer generation that are in most Macs, but still it's an Intel processor and it's doing a better job of cooling that down in a similar uh, form factor. Their laptops look really, really similar to the, the form factor of MacBooks. So it seems like it may be a little more possible to do something. Now they haven't, you know, this is a fairly new technology. So Apple hasn't really released something where they're trying to do this, but um, it seems possible. And my own expectation is that they're going to go more the direction of what we've seen in iPads and iPhones here than they are with what we've seen in the past with Macs. I think the blame is going to lie mostly in Intel's direction on this. Their processors are just creating a lot of heat. And I think Apple, when they go to Apple Silicon, is going to be able to design a system where the heat is dealt with really well. The Apple Silicon processor itself is going to produce less heat than an Intel processor does. And you're going to see more performance as a result of it. This whole concept of thermal throttling, that's what happens when it gets too hot and it has to slow down the computer in order to make it so it doesn't like burst into flames on your lap or give you a scalding burn on your legs while you're using it. That's, um, I think that's going to change entirely. And you're going to get more performance out of Apple Silicon because they just run cooler and they can be cooled more efficiently in the same or even smaller form factors. Maybe would we see a Mac that doesn't even need a fan? Yeah, probably not. At least I kind of hope they don't actually, because to me, that means they probably left performance on the table. Like they didn't put performance into the Mac opting to like be able to brag on a uh, announcement of the new devices. Like these are so great. We don't even need fans. I'd rather they put some fans in or leave fans in there so that they can say, we got like so much performance out of this. We just had to cool them slightly, but now they, they still won't thermally throttle. These fans can totally take care of it. That's the play. That's where I'd rather see them go, but I could see them opting for saying we don't even need fans just to like really dig (laughs) at the rest of the industry. Perhaps seems like an Apple thing kind uh, to do, Uh, but regardless, better performance because of better heat management for one specific thing. I really expect that to be a big deal. Another thing that's going to help with performance. So I think Intel has constrained what Apple could do with their Macs because of their processors, the way their processors function, the design possibilities that Apple has surrounding that processor have been constraints that have made it so that Apple couldn't take the Mac exactly where they wanted it to go. In the same way, I think AMD as a partner providing the graphics when it's not built into the Intel chip, which would also be a massive constraint. But when you get discrete graphics and AMD graphics that are built into some of the higher end Macs, I think that's been a similar constraint. Maybe not in the same ways where uh, they have a hard time cooling them. or it, AMD seems to have been a partner that has been extremely willing to produce GPUs for uh, Apple that 
are whatever they want. <laughs> Whenever you want to do Apple, tell us what it is. We'll work with you. We'll manufacture these things and let's put them in your computers. But AMD just has lagged behind in performance, especially to NVIDIA. This is not a secret. This is not a an earth-shattering statement. Benchmark testing from whatever benchmark you want to look at, but I, I really prefer to look at things from my friends over at Puget Systems who've designed real-world benchmarks instead of the, the purely synthetic benchmarks that I think chip designers have specifically designed things to work better for those synthetic tests. But real-world testing, NVIDIA has an advantage. It's, it's a big advantage. And I think that has similarly constrained Apple on where they wanted to take the Mac in performance. So in the end, not only is Apple switching away from Intel, they're also switching to Apple Silicon, and they're going to a system on a chip design that's going to include graphics processing. They won't need AMD anymore. And together with better heat management, uh, the ability to design everything, the handcuffs are coming off of Apple. The Intel and AMD handcuffs that have kind of constrained them with where they could take it are going to come off. And I expect it to be a massive difference. I expect it to be something that is going to really be meaningful. So how meaningful, right? That's that's what you want to know as you're listening to this as a photographer. You're like, okay, I get it. a little better heat management, a little better GPU. Okay, sure. But what does that mean to me? What I Is it going to run Photoshop or Lightroom faster? All right. Well, early indicators... They support my speculation here and everyone who's speculating that Mac computers are about to get a lot faster. Developers have been provided prototype Mac mini devices to check out how things are going to work with Apple Silicon. The, the idea for them is to make sure your, their apps work. They, they have a whole bunch of work to do to make sure that their applications are compiled to run natively and can, can work on the new version that's coming. It's a major change and they have a lot of work to do. But they, of course, and it's part of the NDA with it that you're not supposed to do this, but it's happening, that there are some tests that are being run. Those synthetic benchmarks I just talked about a bit ago, they're being run on it, and it's holding its own with Intel computers, holding its own. What, what does that mean? It, it's not as good as the Intel machines, those synthetic tests, but they're holding their own. And those results become impressive when you consider that they're being run on a two-year-old processor design that was designed for an iPad Pro, not for a Mac Mini, not for a desktop computer. It was designed for a, a very different function. And that's what these tests are being run on. That, that makes those become pretty impressive. And then when you add on top of that, that these synthetic tests are not designed to run natively on Apple Silicon. They're just, they're not built that way. They are running under emulation. The Rosetta 2 stuff that is there to make it so that this transition is going to work and software that wasn't, com wasn't custom built uh, to run natively on the new Apple Silicon processors, it, that's all that's available right now. So that's where these tests were run. So it's on older hardware, not designed to be a desktop computer, and it's synthetic tests that are not designed to run natively and they're holding their own against native Intel-based platforms. That's very compelling. That's telling us a story early on. There's a long way to go. We have a, Tim Cook said, a two-year road <laughs> to get there. Uh, there's definitely going to be some bumps. I'm going to talk about that at the end, but it's, it's very compelling. But how much faster should we expect it to be then? How much faster 
should we expect uh, Lightroom and Photoshop to run? Okay, I think it is not, uh, it is fully reasonable to expect something along the lines of 100% better performance for macOS and Apple applications. 100%. That's twice as fast. Twice as much performance. I think that could be within reach as they make this transition. As those handcuffs come off from AMD and Intel and give Apple full flexibility to be able to flex their muscles and be able to show how well they've been able to design processors over the last 10 years and leverage the work they've done for the last 10 years on iPhone and iPad Pro and iPad and roll that into a desktop computer, I think 100% faster or twice as fast is within reason. And so many of you hearing that are like, oh, Apple, take my money. <laughs> I, can't, I can't get one of these fast. If it's going to be 100% twice as fast, hold on, slow down. Let me give you the major caveat. I, I said those words very carefully. I've been thinking about this for a long time. And I said Apple applications and Mac OS. And that's the truth. I think Apple has been working on this for a long, long time. I think behind the scenes, they have known for a while that they were their relationship with Intel was on the rocks, and they saw Intel as someone constraining their designs. And they've been thinking, we've got to get away from this because it's making us so we can't produce the Macs that we want to produce. And I think that they have been working on their Mac OS operating system and their Apple applications for many for a long time now so that they have a massive head start they are well down the path of making this work we saw it in the keynote we saw live examples of mac os running on apple silicon and uh, no i don't think it's going to be completely flawless but i think they're well down the path and we should expect to see these kind of performance improvements with those with their own applications and with mac os but does that extend to third parties? Most photographers use third-party applications for editing their photos. Adobe, Capture One, Skyloom, there's a whole bunch of them. And I think it's going to be a while before we see the full benefit of Apple Silicon with those applications, if ever, actually. And I'll explain more about that towards the end of the show of why I think that's there. So would photographers, should they expect twice the performance in Lightroom and Photoshop? No, not twice the performance, but a massive bump, a really good increase, especially with like processor intensive functions. Lightroom Classic in particular is probably going to receive a real speed bump in being able to see this. Import and export will probably go a lot faster, not two times faster, but a, a lot faster, uh, maybe half the time to do those things or a quarter of the time, something like that. They should be a lot faster. Um, maybe it will alleviate the challenges that I've seen where I, as I've done testing of Lightroom with different disk speeds, external drives connected on Mac PC, I've kind of seen where the full performance that the storage is able to provide today over Thunderbolt three or PCI NVMe it, Lightroom Classic is not currently taking full advantage of that. There's other bottlenecks that are in there. It doesn't just seem to be CPU either. It's just kind of the whole system as uh, together 
is not able to really get everything out of those the storage speeds that are are provided and maybe apple silicon is going to kind of address that and make it so that the pipelines of where these data move through your computer go more seamlessly and and they get much faster i also expect this the performance improvements to happen with the sliders in lightroom classic which is probably where almost all of our time is spent anyway we we find our photo and we spend some time with those sliders occasionally you may go or depending on your workflow you may end up in photoshop on all of them but we we really want to have those sliders be able to adjust or update the main view our photo while we're using them that's that's the key benefit that we are looking for we want those to work faster adobe in lightroom classic version 9.3 one of the things that they changed to try to address that was they stopped updating the preview, the thumbnail previews that are on the left on the navigator in the upper left and in the film strip at the bottom. They used to, as you were changing the sliders, they were also updating those thumbnails, keeping everything in sync, the main view and those two thumbnail views of your image. And they changed it in version 9.3 to where those are the thumbnail and the navigator are going to be updated later after you've released the button the the slider and have set it then it will kind of in the background update stuff and it's made a difference it's made it so that things happen faster i think under apple silicon that can get even better even without adobe having to do much of anything i think that could get better they just have to get the app natively built for the app for apple silicon and they've already told us that they are well on their way too they've apple worked with adobe as one of the big software vendors that drives people to use a mac uh, they partnered with them they have a very close partnership and they talked about how they've already got lightroom classic running on natively on apple silicon and and i expect the performance improvements to be very significant i think it's going to be a really really big deal all right, I'm going to tell you what I expect with battery life and some of the downsides of Apple Silicon coming up. But first, I need to thank a partner that's made this episode possible, and that's Flurn.com. Whether you're running Windows, Mac, Intel, Apple Silicon in the future, you really have to learn how to use Lightroom and Photoshop to make any of that matter. It doesn't matter how fast those applications run if you don't know how to use them. If you go into Photoshop and you're like, I don't know how this works. <laughs> I don't know what to do in here then it doesn't really matter how fast that computer is. And one of the best ways I know to learn Photoshop and Lightroom is Flurn.com. My friend Aaron Nace and the folks over at Flurn.com provide video training for Photoshop. I just can't recommend strongly enough. It is incredible. Aaron is truly a Photoshop master, but even more importantly, he's a really good teacher. Those things don't always go hand in hand. Included in a year's subscription to Flurn.com is instant access to over 150 in-depth video tutorials and they're not done there because they are releasing two new pro tutorials every month in july of 2020 they released a training video for how to create a really cool dispersion effects like where a subject in your photo is transforming into like you know birds or bees or you know the images that i'm talking about and you can go check that out over at flurn.com it's priced at only 99.95 a year the annual subscription is an absolute steal for listeners of photo taco and you can get an even better deal as a listener 20 percent off that first year using coupon code PHOTOTACO20. I love Flurn.com. I know you will too. If you've been afraid of Photoshop, this is the solution. Head over to Flurn.com, that's P-H-L-E-A-R-N.com, and use coupon code PHOTOTACO20 to get 20% off. And I want to thank Flurn.com for helping to make this episode possible. 
All right, let's talk about battery life. Battery life, something really important to uh, photographers who use Apple's laptop computers. And I know a lot of you opt for that. You, you feel like you need that portability. You need to be able to go out into the field, landscape photographers for sure, but even for a lot of portrait photographers, they, they really want to be able to kind of edit on the fly or they may have destination weddings or destination events they have to photograph and they want to be able to go like back to a hotel and, um, and edit their images and they, they need a laptop to do that. And so there's a whole lot of you who use Apple laptop computers and battery life is a big deal for you. I expect not only the performance to be better, I expect the battery life to get much better. In fact, I I think if Apple has to kind of choose one over the other, and, and to me, I think they do, I'm guessing they would choose to like hold back a little bit on the performance improvements in favor of getting like ridiculous battery life, (laughs) really, really long battery life. I hope they don't. I hope they don't make that compromise because my, I would rather have like a little bit shorter battery life and get more performance out of it. But I could see like the target of having a massive unveiling of the first Apple Silicon and they want to be able to make this, this huge splash about how much battery life there is in a MacBook that has Apple Silicon and that being more important than performance. Like still having a, a big increase in performance, but an even bigger increase in battery life. One of the reasons I use a MacBook Pro for my mobile work, just like I talked about with with you all that may be listening, um, rather than a Windows laptop, is the battery life. It's one of the key things that makes me use a Mac, makes me pay for a Mac. Um, Keep in mind, I do 90% of my photo editing on a custom-built Windows desktop computer. And uh, so I, I, I don't I find Mac and PC both very usable. I use them both a lot, both with my photography and with my my day job as an IT professional. So I, I know very well both of them. And um, it's, it's justified the expense for me to use an Apple laptop because the battery life is that much better. It's that much uh, improved. And um, and that's that's why I've chosen that so far. And I expect it to get even better with... Apple Silicon. So let me tell you a couple of reasons why. I, I don't want to just claim it. I want to go into my thought process. And this unfortunately means I need to get a little more geeky. I've got to get down into a level uh, that most photographers probably don't care about and, and certainly probably don't know. And uh, it just contributes here. And, and I have to talk a little bit about something called an instruction set. And, um, so, so today you have Mac OS and windows, both running on CPUs processors that have the same instruction set. It's called X86. It's a terrible name, but that's the language the processor speaks. So when Mac OS needs some work done or windows needs some work done by the processor, the language it speaks to tell the processor to go do something is through this instruction set. And today, macOS and Windows use the same instruction set, x86. Well, tomorrow, macOS is running Apple Silicon processors, and they have a different language that they speak. The instruction set is something called ARM, which is why a lot of people thought it might be called Mac on ARM, or they might say it Mac on ARM. But that's what it means. It's it's the macOS talks to the processor, and it has to do that through um, an instruction set called ARM. ARM 
in the, by its nature, one of the differences between these two, they're, they're not the same thing. They are not equivalent to one another. The only way they're the same is they both allow you to talk to processors, <laughs> but they are completely different languages, just very, very different languages. And ARM is reduced instruction set computing. It's a risk-based kind of instruction set. And they're simplified instructions. They're easier instructions. They are more energy efficient instructions. Whereas x86 is complex instruction set computing, CISC, and they are more complicated and they are, they take more energy to be able to run and execute. And it's a lot of technical speak for saying ARM as a processing architecture, it, it has energy efficiency um, things that are kind of by design working that way. And it's why Apple has chosen and a lot of other mobile consumer electronics devices have opted for ARM. Power consumption becomes a really big deal on mobile devices and ARM has done a better job than x86 there. There's some other things. There's way more complexity to it. There's a whole lot more to it than that. But that's one of the reasons I'm expecting battery life to be better is just switching the instruction set from x86 to ARM is going to bring energy efficiency that they couldn't get or they've been struggling to get with Intel processors. Another thing that's really changed over time is the transistor size. And that's really come to mean like the efficiency of the manufacturing process or the the resulting processor that comes out of manufacturing being more efficient by how big the transistors are. It used to be something a long time ago that really meant something that the transistor size was measured in nanometers. And um, you, as you had a new generation of processors that usually meant a new fabrication process that allowed them to put more and more transistors closer and closer together. And, and they were smaller in size. The nanometer size would go down on the transistors. And as that happens, performance goes up and energy efficiency goes up. They need less power to be able to get that same performance or even better performance with less power. And even though that's things have changed and there's ended up being bottlenecks in the processors besides the size of the transistor. And so decreasing the size of the transistor hasn't meant as much of an increase in processing performance. They, we still kind of marketing term wise, or just to, to indicate kind of comparisons between different manufacturers of processors, nanometers has become the, like the, the terminology there. Similar to like how for computers, the number of megahertz or gigahertz has become kind of synonymous with how fast it is. There's tons of other factors for that. Anyway, that's, it's, it's meant that it's, that's been a big deal. And that's something that Intel had been doing a really good job of for a long, long time. Every generation of their processors was a smaller transistor size, a more efficient process, producing processors that were more efficient, faster, and more energy efficiency. Year Every couple of years, that would change and update, and they, they would have a big change in both performance and energy efficiency. Hasn't held true for the last few years. Intel's really struggled in this area. They are their manufacturing process hasn't really updated for many years. And this is why I was talking about again handcuffs that have been on Apple as they've wanted to take their Mac in different directions with Intel being their partner for processors. The design or the the 
challenges Intel has had in producing more efficient and faster processors hasn't gone so well in recent years. And I'm sure that's part of the reason that Apple has been on this for a couple of years now to replace this. I think that Apple has proven it with their consumer electronic devices in iPads and iPhones. They have shown that they've been able to do really good um, manufacturing processes that are energy efficient and able to perform really well. That's why I think there's a massive benefit to both performance and battery life. Now, how much battery life do we expect it to be? Well, the real story on Intel processors requires, uh, it's somewhere between like 25% and 90%. That's a huge range, but anywhere between there, that's how much more power they need over like even AMD processors today. 25 to 90% kind of depends on what metric you're looking at and what like uh, synthetic test you're kind of comparing them on. But there's a, that's a lot. That's a lot of battery power that Intel needs over even AMD processors. You don't have direct comparisons like that yet for Apple Silicon, but I just like in processor, it wouldn't surprise me at all if we may see somewhere between 50 and 100% more battery life out of Macs running Apple Silicon. We, we have the iPads and iPhones to look at as, as how they are doing that, how they're doing there. And, and it's amazing how much battery life they get out of those devices. Again, they kind of set the standard on how that, that is. MacBooks today, here in 2020, they get a very impressive 11 hours of battery life when they're running these power-hungry Intel CPUs. Imagine when they get their own CPUs in there and they can leverage what they've learned in producing iPhones and iPads and design a system that's going to bring the best battery life they can possibly squeeze out of things. 11 hours today on an Intel Mac I don't think it's unreasonable to think we might see something that can do 16 or 20 hours on an, a Mac running Apple Silicon. A huge, huge improvement. Now, 20 hours of battery life. Does that mean Does that mean 20 hours of Lightroom? No, no, no. It doesn't mean 20 hours of Lightroom. <laughs> That's not how those metrics work. Uh, but it, it's, it's more intensive. It's going to take more battery life because those processors are going to be working a lot harder than they do when you're browsing the web, although that's getting a lot more complicated these days too, especially with how much memory that takes in a lot of browsers and depending on what you're doing. But I, I could see where you might actually get like legit six to eight hours of Lightroom battery life on a MacBook running Apple, Apple Silicon. I think that's something we might be able to see. It's total speculation, just based on what I'm seeing with their other devices, what I know about these processors. I think that that's something that could actually happen. And that would be really really good for photographers, right? As you're in the hotel, if you could get six to eight hours of battery life, you're not going to be hunting around for a, a power connection to be able to make sure that you can run. And you could be in like the hotel lobby in a chair and just go. <laughs> that would be incredible, especially if you could have like full performance in Lightroom for those six to eight hours. Wouldn't that be amazing? That would be stunning. And we'll, we'll see. We'll see what happens. We'll see how my predictions come. We'll see what others... I'm certainly not alone in predicting these kinds of improvements. And we'll see how it's going to be. Now let's talk about 
challenges. Challenges to this 24-month transition Tim Cook has outlined where we're going to take the Mac from Intel to Apple Silicon. They're going to release new Intel-based Macs for a little while. Um, so they already have those in the pipeline, probably going to be the 10th generation Intel CPUs, improved GPU from Intel, all of that kind of stuff. So there's, there's going to be some there. And for most of you listening, if you rely on your computer to do your photography, if your small business as a photographer relies on these things, I absolutely think it would be the wrong direction to go in to jump on an Apple Silicon Mac. It's just going to have some challenges. So let me let me outline what I see as those challenges. To this point in the episode, I may have sounded like an absolute Apple fanboy, <laughs> and on the mobile on the laptop side, I I kind of am. I they are really good mobile computers, and I I really like my MacBook Pro. But I've been doing most of my photo editing on a Windows desktop computer, so I I definitely see advantages to doing that. For me personally, it's not something that's going to translate to everyone listening. And again, I'm not saying you should pick one over the other because I do this or someone else does that. You need to pick the tool that's going to fit right for you and get the job done. Whichever one that is doesn't really matter. Pick the one that's going to work for you, your budget, your situation, your familiarity, your comfort. All of those things are more important factors than what uh, someone else is using or what a podcaster might say. And and you choose the right tool and then you go and you do it. And more, way more important to me as I am talking to photographers is that you have what you need and the information you need to be able to create the images that you want to create. That's the most important bottom line. All right, so challenges that I think Apple's going to have. I talked about the complexity a little bit. This is a massive, massive undertaking. I, I don't think it can be stated enough about how big this is. If, if I was Buddy the Elf, <laughs> I'd probably say this transition to Apple Silicon is ginormous. It is absolutely a big deal. Now, Apple is not new to this game. They've transitioned from one processing architecture to another several times now. That's going to help them for sure. Still, this is a big change. It, and they've been working on it for a few years, I imagine. They didn't say that, but I, I just got to believe behind the scenes. They saw how rocky that Intel relationship was. They saw how challenging their designs were because of the constraints of Apple or uh, Intel and AMD. And, and they knew they were going to do this well before they announced it. I mean, it really leaked out well before this, where people speculated well before this, that that's really where they're headed with all of the Apple Silicon they were putting inside the iPads and iPhones and, and how good that has gone, how how good they've been able to execute and deliver there. It, it, it leads to this very, very well. It's still super complicated. It doesn't matter that they've had a year, two, three, four, whatever ramp up time they've had, Mac OS is a very complicated modern operating system and it's a massive change to new to move that over to a different processing architecture. Um, we don't have to look very far to see some challenges with Mac OS releases, right? A lot of you have felt that pain. A lot of you have had problems with Catalina or Mojave. Some of these updates have really challenged. I've heard from a lot of you that have had problems with those updates. And I know there's a lot of you listening like, yeah, I haven't had a problem. I've updated every single time and it's been just fine. Awesome. Really, <laughs> really glad to hear that. That's excellent when the tools that you need work. That's great. 
but I've heard from so many have had problems. That it's not without bumps. It's, there's so many people using these. There's going to be challenges. And this is just a really, really big deal. So I want you to understand that this is significant. You have three and in most cases, actually four different levels of changes that are happening here. All right. We have the very lowest change is that brand new processor. Apple has never before built a computer, a processor intended to be inside a computer, a laptop or a desktop. They've never done that. Yes, they had 10 years worth of experience in building processors that are in consumer electronics, like an iPad and an iPhone, running a very similar version of Mac OS on those devices. And it's going like gangbusters, going really, really well. But they've never done it. That's uh, It is definitely still a point. So that's changing. Then you have Mac OS. It's going to be a brand new version of it, a brand new build of it. A very massive change that has to be accounted for there. They're ramping up. Sure. They're going to, ha- I think they have the very best chance of making this work well of anybody in the industry that would be taking this on. I expect Apple to have the very best shot at making this go well, but it's still a massive change at the macOS level. That's two levels then, the processor and macOS. Third level is going to be your application, and Apple has some of their own apps, but we're talking more probably about third-party apps. You have Office Suite from Microsoft, you have Adobe with Photoshop and Lightroom, or maybe Capture One or uh, Skyloom. You have a whole bunch of different software that photographers may be using that now has to be recompiled and changed to run on Apple Silicon natively. And that's the best case that you have just those three. So if you end up with a problem, some sort of a bug or a functional issue, it can be in any or all three of those layers where the problem lies. It's super, super complicated. And then you have those apps that don't compile natively to Apple Silicon. And then they're going to have to have a fourth layer where in between Mac OS and the application is Rosetta 2. It's their emulation software that's going to make it so that applications, at least during the transitory 24 months, are going to be able to run um, you know, a native built in uh, an application natively built to run on Intel is going to be able to run, continue to run on Mac OS on Apple Silicon through this Rosetta 2 emulation software. So that's a fourth layer that's in there and can have something be wrong and a problem. And that it's just massive. It is just a really, really big undertaking and it's going to be a challenge. Now we have an example actually about how big of a challenge this is in the industry. It's not full. It's not a, a fair comparison. It can't be apples to apples, as you might say. <laughs> Didn't really intend for that to be like that, but it's you know how we say things. So the comparison would be Microsoft. Microsoft has been working on a port of Windows over to run on ARM for years now, a lot of years. It's not going well. They are not making a lot of progress. Now, maybe it's because Microsoft isn't taking this nearly as seriously as Apple is. Uh, Maybe they haven't allocated the resources to it. And if they really focused on it, they could get this thing going and, and have it work well. I don't know. But I do know that they've been trying for several years. And it's just, it's not really a solid offering today. Not something that anyone would actually use today. And I know that they have had to go and and write not just to arm as an instruction set the way that you'd hope you would they've had to write 
code that's more specific to the Qualcomm processors that they've partnered with. They've been working on this since 2011. It just hasn't gone well. They've had to make gone to extreme measures of things they don't want to do, writing specifically to the processor instead of just to the instruction set. It it's just it's been a problem. It's a big problem. That's what I'm trying to get get across here is it is totally unfair to expect that Apple can execute on this massive, massive change and have zero problems. It just, it's not going to happen. <laughs> it's going to be issues. There are going to be challenges along the way. And that's why I say, if this is something you rely on for your business, if you've ignored me every time I've said that for all the other updates, the OS updates like, you know, Mojave to Catalina or Adobe Lightroom Classic updates, and, and you've always applied those and it's been fine. Don't do it here. <laughs> Don't do it here because this is a big, big deal and it's going to be super fun. I'm way excited for that first release later here in 2020 to see what it is that Apple delivers. It's not going to be ready for people to use as day-to-day production reliant, I have to have this work kind of thing. There's going to be a lot of stuff that we're going to work through. Best case, I'm guessing it's a year before we get to where all of the applications you might use are actually kind of working fully running on Apple Silicon. And it it's just going to, it might be longer than that. We'll see how it goes. The last transition when they went to Intel, it did happen in less than a year, but there were still challenges. People didn't have all of their applications for much longer than that. And that's kind of what I'd expect here. So this is going it, to, it absolutely is going to be bumpy. But I do think if anybody can pull this off, if anyone can take this really horribly complicated transition and have it work and execute and make it so that that path is just a little bumpy but not a dead end, it's Apple. I think they're going to pull this off. I think they're going to make it work. And it's going to be super exciting to see what comes in the next two years and beyond with Apple Macs running Apple Silicon and pushing the boundaries of what we've known for computing devices. It's going to be fun. I'm really excited for the ride. There's one more challenge that I want to talk to. And that's a challenge that I worry about for Lightroom and Photoshop and and other third-party applications, applications that are not made by Apple. Now, I, I totally get, like Apple told us in the keynote, they specifically mentioned that Adobe's been working with them to get their creative cloud suite of applications running on Mac computers running Apple Silicon. That was they showed, I think, an example, if I remember right, of Lightroom Classic running, or maybe it was Photoshop, running on the Mac, that they, the prototype that they had in front of them. And that's very good. I, I'm glad to see that. I, I know Adobe is a massive partner with Apple. I totally expect that when they release the first Apple Silicon Mac, you're going to have the Creative Cloud Suite natively built to run on Apple Silicon with no need of Rosetta 2. I totally expect that to be the case. I expect it to be maybe more bumpy than Apple's own software, but still pretty good. I expect that they, Adobe, are going to invest heavily, heavily in making sure that there is a really good experience as you, when they release this first Apple Silicon based Mac. I think that um, it's likely 
at the unveiling later here in 2020 when when Apple tells us, hey, we're seeing uh, 70% better performance and or maybe like 50% better performance and 70% longer battery life, something along it would be huge. That would be massive to be able to tell tell us that. And then I could see them bringing Adobe out on that stage just a little bit after talking through it and having Adobe say, yep, we ported our Creative Cloud Suite over to Apple Silicon. It was It's worked extremely well. And we are seeing, yes, something along the lines of the same thing, 50% better performance and 80% better, whatever it is. They'll be able to confirm what it is that Apple told us and, and have Adobe tell us that. And they'll, they'll bring other like game makers or other people out onto the stage to tell the same story. Of course, they'll bring only the, the positive stories. And, and we'll see that. Totally expect all of that to happen. But I worry what happens after that. <laughs> I worry about what happens after they make that initial push to get things compiled and working under Apple Silicon over where they are today, where it's Mac OS with Intel processors. We've talked about that translation, the instruction set, x86 versus ARM. That's not a small change for developers. That's a really, really big change for developers. It's not trivial today to make an application work on both Windows and Mac. We have a, a fairly recent example in the photography space. We have Skyloom. They started out as a totally different company name. They were called, they called themselves MacFun originally, and they produce Luminar, among other tools. But Luminar is one of their, their key photo processing applications that they build. It was initially released with Mac only. It didn't offer anything on Windows. And I don't know exactly what led to that, but I would guess a very big contributing factor is it's tough to build an application, especially like a photo editing application that works equally well on both Mac and Windows. It is not a very simple process to be able to do that. There's enough differences and that's with both operating systems running on Intel. At least they're speaking the same processor language today. It's there. It's challenging under that scenario. Now you're going to make it so that the processor has a totally different language between the two. That's a massive increase in complexity in making an application run on both Windows and Mac. It's it's a big big deal, and I I worry about the future, not only with Adobe and how do they decide how to deal with this. How do they Yes, you you had to make this massive push to get the the Creative Cloud Suite compiled and built to run natively on Mac OS with Apple Silicon. That's a, a no-brainer. You have to do that. They're a major partner. Lots of creatives love the Mac platform. You have to go there for sure. But then going forward from that point on, now what do you do? How do you manage your features and functions and releases? The the target between those two has become significantly more complicated. Do you have to go to a thing now where maybe you release new features first on one platform and then later to another? Uh, do you just have to spend a lot more money and just deal with it and try to absorb this and maybe you have to charge higher subscription prices to account for it? Or do you just 
have to focus on the challenge of like, we've got to develop something that's going to enable us to do things equally well across both platforms. We haven't been forced into creating such a tool, but now we need it. And we're going to have to spend a whole bunch of research and development and, and spend time and money on this. And we're going to make, we're going to create a process that's going to do it. That might be fine for Adobe. They probably have all of their, those options available to them to deal with this, but the little guys, the Mac funds, of the future, <laughs> the Mac funds that are coming. I think that story about Mac fun and how they went from Mac only and then introduced and added windows along the way, as they've done releases, they have had to do releases that didn't include all the features across both platforms. You, you had some features that were still released first with Mac and then later on windows, or they'd have to say it's coming soon on windows and then, and deliver it a little bit later. I think that becomes even harder for third parties, smaller third parties to be able to deal with this, this difference that is getting bigger, a bigger difference between Mac and windows. And I kind of worry about what's going to happen for us as photographers and where things are going to end up in the future. It's going to be super interesting to see maybe very smart engineers are going to solve this problem. They haven't been forced, like I said, into really addressing this head on. They hadn't had such a, a a division for years now. It hasn't been a problem. They've both been running on x86 instruction sets. And so they were able to get things to work pretty well reasonably with like common code, just cross compiled is the term that's there for both in, for, for the, to, to have it work. In the future, that's more challenging and they've got a problem to solve there. And I, I hope they do. I hope it makes it so that we don't have to have a massive divide between Mac and PC and the creative tools that are available on both of them. We had that in the past. We've had that many years ago. At least maybe I, I wasn't someone that was using the systems enough to tell you how it was way back then. But I've heard from lots of people where, and, and they, they were photographers, so they may not know the technical details behind it, but they definitely had to have a Mac because stuff just worked better there. And maybe it was Windows as computers, they just weren't built as well, and, and, and that's really come a long ways. Whatever the reason, we're in a place today where feature parity across the Creative Cloud suite is pretty much there. And you don't have to choose based on the type of computer and how well an application works because for the most part, we've kind of solved those problems, but we're going to a place where it's not. And that's going to mean a lot of time and money that has to be spent to figure out what to do about it. And I kind of worry <laughs> about what's going to happen. I don't know. It's going to be super inter interesting to see where that's going to go and, and what's going to happen there. All right. So those are my thoughts really overall kind of putting a, a nice little bow on this episode and what it is that I generally think the, the, com, you know, considering everything that I've talked about in this episode, I am nothing but excited about this. <laughs> I really, really think we are going to be seeing some neat stuff happen with Mac on Apple Silicon. I think it's going to push the industry. It's going to push Intel. It's going to push AMD. Competition is 
always good for us as consumers. The more competition, the better. And I think Apple is about to bring some major competition to the processing world. And it's going to be good for all of us. We're going to see people step up their game. We're going to see some really compelling products. We're going to see some advancements that have kind of been stagnating for a while. AMD has been doing a really good job of pushing Intel and surpassing Intel in many areas. And it's only going to get better when you add Apple to the mix now. And they're going to all be competing with each other. That's going to produce some products that are going to be super exciting. And I'm really, really excited for it. I don't know that I'm going to be able to invest in one very soon. We'll see how pricing works. We'll see what they release. I would love to be able to get my hands on the first release just so I could test stuff out and report to all of you about how it goes and what it's working on. Um, but we'll we'll see see how that happens. Still, I'm really excited. The end of this two-year transition, which I actually think may go faster than that, but at the end of this two-year transition, I think we're going to be in a spot where we're going to have really fun computers and especially Mac users, you should be excited. You should be really excited. All right. That is it for this episode. Thank you all so much for joining me. I want to remind you that you can um, go and check out everything Photo Taco related over at phototacopodcast.com. That's where the show notes will be. And that's where you can find articles on like the budget gear I recommend and a whole lot more support and help on technical kinds of things where I try to break down those technical details into things that everyone can understand. If you want to recommend a show to me, you can email me, phototacopodcast at gmail.com. No question is too basic or too complicated for the show. Love to have you contact me there. You can tag me on Instagram at phototacopodcast or Twitter at phototaco and I'll be able to see those too. All of this will be in the show notes. We also have our Facebook group. That's over, um, if you just search in Facebook for Photo Taco Podcast, you'll see that group. Or there'll be a link in the show notes, and you uh, you can go and join that group. We also have the Photo Taco Discord server. And it's an experiment I, I started a couple months ago. Um, I'd say it's not going very well. <laughs> I'd say most of you are not participating over there. And, um, you know, by the winter, by by end of year, I will make a decision on what I'm going to do there. I'm trying to engage there as much as I can, um, but I'm only seeing a very small number of users, of listeners, I should say, that are willing to go over to the Discord server. So if, if you are a listener who hates Facebook and you don't want to interact with the community there, Go check out the Discord server. You can go to phototacopodcast.com and get a link to it so that you can get on that Discord server. And uh, you, you need to make sure you engage or I will just abandon it at the end of the year. There you go. So thank you all so much for listening. And uh, we'll see you again in another, another month. Views expressed on this program by independent hosts and callers do not necessarily reflect the views of Master Photography Podcast, LLC, or its advertisers. Some links mentioned on this program are affiliate links worth commissions earned. Olay!